Hi, I'm Elder Turner. <laughs> and I'd like to introduce you to this most amazing book. It's called the Bible. Wow. OK, sound booth? I know. The question is where I should put it. It's like right under my chin. Those of you at home, obviously, I'm not the regular guy here. Um, this is still on, too. Um, Pastor Justin had to go be with family. He had, uh, it might have been a grandfather that was ill, uh, perhaps might have even passed, I'm not sure. Uh, and is he, is he gone? Okay. Pray for who, Mom? Pray for Justin. Okay. We should pray for Justin. Um, yeah, that's hard. Um, Father, I just pray for, for Justin and, uh, and really all the family there that are around and uh, facing this loss that they've just sustained, Father. Uh, I know nothing about the, the depth of their ties and uh, the, the amount of pain and anguish they might be going through, but uh, I know, God, that losing a, losing a, a grandfather uh, especially is hard. Um, I know his, his dad was distant, but I think his grandfather was a significant part. And God, I just pray that you'd be the, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, God of all comfort and strength. I pray, God, that, that, that Justin would, would be able to be an example of light and joy and peace in the midst of this difficult time, God, that even in this loss, God, that um, others would be able to raise questions about, hey, what's this hope that you have within you? Why aren't you devastated in this situation? Um, I just pray, God, that you also watch over them as they travel back. We miss them. And uh, we just give this whole situation to you, God, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, think, uh, I think the Dannys are on a scheduled vacation, and Buddy's not here, so it's a pastor apocalypse or something. Um, so... And I walked out without the water that I was drinking, so I'll drink this one. This is the official. I'll make this, the drinking sounds like Justin does. Listen. Did you hear that? All right. As you can already tell, I'm not going to be very serious this morning. That's just not my thing. Um, I can't really do that. Um, but now that we've already prayed for him, let's pray for us and me. Pray for you especially because you're going to need it. Um, um, God, we just love you this morning. We thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we can kid around about the people that are missing and how I'm like the short straw. But Holy Spirit, you're here, and you can communicate to us. We trust in you that you are the inspiration of the word, the protector of the word through the ages, and the one that explains and translates to us the heart of God through the word. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be that that revelator and that that uh, that unction and that power and that ability. Your word says, God, that you'll call to mind those things uh, when we need them. And so, God, um, we're calling to mind those things that we need to, to talk about today. Uh, that you would be glorified. That your heart would be would be clear. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to sit down.
because my legs are wobbling. What's that? Time out. Um, let there be great rejoicing in the fact that on Monday the carpet will be cleaned. The downside of that is before you leave today, all these chairs are gone and that couch and that TV, uh, probably out into the hallway and the counter area in there and if in that table, those, those chairs. Uh, and if we can't put any more in the halls, then they'll go up here on the stage after we delicately move all these electronic gizmos. Um, anyway, well, hi. I'm glad you guys could make it. Um, I feel the, the vibe from the people at home that are just hanging on every word. They probably already popped their popcorn. It's like, <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, God's been, God's been, um, this whole COVID season has just been, you know, you get knocked off of your normal groove and your normal plodding ahead one day at a, at a time kind of life. And it's more easy for the Holy Spirit to kind of poke you and start uh, speaking to you and, and trying to shake things up a little bit. Uh, the good thing about times of shaking is that the things that can't be shaken won't be. You know, so the those that whose house is built upon the rock, when the shaking comes, there's there's not a there's not a real crisis there because we know where our foundation, where our anchor is. Um, but over the last few uh, the last few months, um, I've found the Holy Spirit speaking to me about uh, a lot about hey, you know, you got more time, and the buzz has kind of turned down a little bit, and if you turn off the news, which is rarely right anymore um, we can I'm sorry I'm going to try real hard not to do anything stupid like political stuff because that just clouds with the air of what we're trying to do here but the the Holy Spirit you know he kind of draws us there's this there's this drawing James 4 8 says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you and um, you know I, I love this church and I love um, how this is kind of a, well, you know, in, in aviation, there's a, a thing called an experimental airplane. It's like, let's try out this design and hope nobody dies while they're testing it or something, or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, this church is um, a very flexible, um, I think at times, ex experimental. Not really, that sounds really amateur, doesn't it? Experimental. What I'm, what I'm getting at is, we are small enough and intimately enough with intimate and, and um, relational enough that we're not locked into um, um, perspectives, theological uh, perspectives that those that would be in a denominational church a lot of times would have to be dealing with. Because if you're in a denomination and you feel like something different is coming up in the word um, um, if it doesn't jive with what the official denominational position of that is then it's hard to it's hard to break three break free because then you're thinking I really feel like God is showing me this thing but they don't 
agree with that over here, and so I have a choice of staying in the group sometimes, or I mean this. Uh, let's let me let me back up. I'm being conceptual. Let me be specific. There are those of us that have been in the past in very, um, very uh, rigid churches. Um, like for example, there's a lot of folks that came from um, from uh, deeper life and, and those. I mean. Um, Gospel life uh, that formerly were in a very, a very uh, strict, legalistic, hardcore kind of environment where there was a lot of rules. I mean, they just made rules like every every day there was some new rule. I, I would say um, about length of hair, length of clothes, all these silly things that are external that have no value on what's really going on in your spirit. You know, how I many you know Jesus didn't wear a tie? Years ago, we were years ago we were working at a mission church uh, across the bay every Sunday afternoon, and there was a new guy that came to the service that had never been there before, and he was wearing a tie. And he found out that that uh, we were leading the singing. We were supporting another pastor there that was bilingual. We were leading the singing, and the guy's like, "Well, brother, why are you wearing a tie?" And I'm like, "Why do I need a tie?" He's like, "So that God will be pleased with you." I'm like, ah. I don't see anywhere in the scripture where, where they talked about wearing a tie. I'm confused. I mean, Jesus didn't wear a tie. We're, you know, then the word of grace hit, and all of a sudden we understood um, the, uh, the freedom that we have because of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of ten and, uh, sin and death, it says in Romans 8. Um, and we saw... The, uh, the great commandment Jesus was talking about in Matthew 22, 36. Um, they asked him, what's the greatest, the greatest commandment? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like that, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the punchline is, he said, and, and in so doing, you fulfill all of the law and the prophets. Um, God said, I'll put my laws within them, and on their hearts I'll write it, and I'll be their God, and, and they shall be my people. We're, not law, we're no longer obeying, as Lynn Hiles says, we're no longer keeping up with rules on rocks. We're allowing the, the law of the Spirit, the Spirit of God in us is helping us to measure our actions and measure our behavior and measure our life according to the standard of, of the heart witness of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, Pastor Mark, when, he, when we first started exploring this in about 2013, um, he actually wrote a thing called a, Christian, a, 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 a Grace Manifesto. But um, anyway, he, he made the point that, you know, the Ten Commandments actually, in this context of grace, the Ten Commandments really are, they kind of fall in line with the results of walking in grace and walking in love. If you love your neighbor, if you love God and if you love your neighbor, all those Ten Commandments things really do get fulfilled. You're not going to kill them. You're not going to steal their stuff. You're not going to cheat them. You're not going to lie on them. You know, so the rule, the rule list got a lot shorter. If I can just remember to walk in love with my neighbor and walk in love with God, um, I will be pleasing. I will be doing, I will be doing that's what, that which is necessary. Um, Jesus said, he who loves me will keep my commandments. You know, um, anyway... So, um, we are a pretty diverse church. We've got folks from different backgrounds. You've, you've got 
fundamentalist Baptists, you've got kind of Southern Baptists, you've got Charismaniacs, you've got Pentecostals, you've got probably Recovering Catholics. There's just a lot of there's just a there's just a lot of there's a mix of things that we that we bring in our experience in the past, um, but we choose to love and we rally around this simple thing that His grace is enough, and so we have these. Really, the, the basic pillars of our church is the kingdom of God is here and now. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. Uh, and so did the disciples. And so are we supposed to, preaching the kingdom. God's here, and his will and his, his, uh, his way of doing things are here. We did the kingdom. Um, we talked about sonship, that we've been adopted. The blood of Jesus has made us clean and acceptable and adoptable, and God adopted us. He gave us the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit's in us, bearing witness to the fact that we belong to him. Don't touch um, that we belong to him. And, and by the way, the spirit of adoption not only means that we're adopted, but we, we have a magnetic pull. We feel like we adopt people. I mean, me and my wife, it seems like we're collecting family members. And every time we have a youth group over or a worship group over, it's like, oh, you're like my best friend forever. And, that's, and it's like everybody, especially my wife, she, everybody, everybody that she meets, um, you know, she just loves them and hugs them and, and um, makes them feel so welcome and so, um, so accepted. And, but that's a spirit. It's the, the spirit of God in us gives us a spirit of adoption, you know, that we can welcome and draw people in towards the Lord. Come see my father. Hey, he'll adopt you too. This is a great deal. Come meet the father that just adopted us. Um, but... But new revelation means being open to the Holy Spirit teaching you new things. There's a humility to say, I don't know it all. You know, I'm, I'm not in an Orthodox church for, for the last eight centuries. Somebody's penned this all out in Latin, and it's all dr cut and dry. And as long as I do these ceremonies and wear these particular robes and swing the smoke around and sing these songs, and, and by the way, I'm, I, I don't want to sound like I'm making fun of any other tradition. They're walking in the light that they had at the time. The reason it's the same since 800 years ago is because once you get settled and the group dynamic comes into play, like you can't depart from that because all of a sudden it's more important to you to be a part of this group than to be a part of that group, the cloud of witnesses, the saints around the throne, those that are the household of faith. And so for, for God to ever pry us out of our ruts, we've got to be able to be humble enough to say, teach me, Holy Spirit, what I need to know. Reveal what's in this word so I can understand it better. There's plenty of times where I've, I've read a verse that we've seen, all of you, I mean, this is nothing new, and I've heard every preacher probably I've ever said under say the kind of thing, I was reading the word and something jumped off the page I never saw before. Well, thank God for the Holy Ghost because the printed word all by itself may not help you as much as it will be when the Holy Spirit comes along and impacts it like that. Um, we were talking Wednesday night at... Uh, at the gospel, simply, simple, simple gospel, simply gospel -y. <laughs> And we were, we were talking uh, about, um, Buddy was talking about how the word of God is so important and, and we depend upon what's in here to, to, you know, to grow in our understanding of God and, um, and how the Holy Spirit has something to work with. You know, if you don't ever read the word, the Holy Spirit has less things to call to mind to you, to reveal to you, to guide you in real time. So I'm all for loading up on the word, uh, that raw material, 
and the the interesting part was um, uh, I thought of Saul. You know, if you if you remember in some of the other other gospel other letters, Paul talks about he's a Hebrew of of Hebrews, and he was trained in the temple, and he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the high priest, and he learned the word. Saul knew some Bible, he knew some Torah, and Saul was um, he was. Uh, what would you say? Very, very excited, very, um, very zealous would be a good word. Did somebody say zealous? You get the cookie. Um, he was very zealous in his heart. He felt like he was serving God faithfully, obeying the word that he had that he understood. But what he was doing was persecuting the church. So here's somebody faithfully serving God in the revelation that he's got. And he's all bowed up about, I'm right, and these clowns are wrong, and we're going to drag them to jail and kill some of them. And so everybody was afraid of him. He was running around the countryside. He even got letters to go out and hunt them down again. All right. So this Saul, who's full of the word, but badly interpreting or badly understanding it, gets knocked off of his horse on the Damascus Road. And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And so Paul's like, what do you want me to do? And he said, go and stay at the house. Uh, um, Cornelius' house, was it? Ananias? No, Ananias came to him. Simon the Tanner, I think, was the house, right? I should read the Bible more. They would... <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think all this stuff. I'm trying, I'm trying to um, save a little bit of time by, by calling up these stories from memory. Because when I slow down and try to dig it out, it's like a treasure hunt. Um, and um, I didn't make enough notes, probably made too many. But so, so, so Saul is waiting in the house of Simon the Tanner, and God speaks to Ananias. And, and that's probably the only time we ever heard of this guy. He wasn't some notable person from Jerusalem. He was just one of the household of the faith, and he was there nearby. And he says, Ananias, go and pray for Saul. Now, that is a, that is a verse probably that... Um, I do want to look up because it's so much fun. Let's go to Acts 9. Wow. Acts chapter 9. See, if I had my phone, I'd find it faster. Yeah. Um, here we go. Okay, so they led him by verse 8. Saul got up off the ground, basically. And when his eyes were open, he didn't see any man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight. Neither did he eat or drink. Well, there you go. That's pretty cold turkey. Um, <clears throat> there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, here I am. The Lord said, Arise and go to the street, which is called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas. Okay, so it wasn't Simon. Judas, uh, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So Ananias goes and says, Lord, I've heard many of this man, uh, how evil he is. The Lord said, anyway, verse 15, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must 
suffer in my name. So Ananias went his way, entered the house, put his hands on him, says, Brother Saul, interesting they called him brother already, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest. I'm sorry this is King James. It's just the one I grabbed off the, off the back there. Um, sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as if it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Interesting here. He was physically blind, but he said that you'll receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost, and the scales fell off his eyes. I think when the Holy Spirit came upon apparently he received, there's nothing since he didn't, Apparently, when, when Saul was filled with the Holy Ghost there, because this is King James, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, I believe all of a sudden the interpreter, the explainer, the expositor of all the word that he had lodged in his heart was now available to make that understood. And so Paul, with that payload of scripture and understanding, with the help of the Holy Spirit, became Saul with all that, became Paul who wrote half the New Testament, the expositor, the explainer of all of the things in the past, of all the words and the prophecies and all these things. And so, you know, he was, it's like he was handpicked by God to explain all this stuff. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten the word to him, to explain it to him. Well, that, that gives me pause to think, how much of the word have we read that we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate? How much have we believed of others' opinions of certain passages of Scripture that um, may have been incorrect or, or, or very incorrect? Does anybody remember um, out, out in the Midwest there was like a church, Westboro Church? Remember those guys that were screaming on the side of the road? You know, terrible, terrible, you know, at, at military funerals and stuff. Just horrible, nasty, terrible religious attitude because they had it in their sick minds that they correctly understood God and they were pleasing God. You know, bad doctrine can do terrible things. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten what we read. Um, amen. Because um, without, the, without the Holy Spirit... Um, there's a temptation to be um, because you know you're right. By the way, I think every church, every church I've ever attended, they they felt like they were right. There's a when you got this group dynamic going on where everybody's like, "Hey, we got this stuff figured out. You should belong to our church because we got this stuff right." You know, from for the most obvious, like the Orthodox guys who're doing all this stuff, and you go, "That's not necessary," all the way up to every every stripe. Every group thinks they've got it right. The ones that continue to grow, the ones that continue to move on uh, in Revelation are the ones that are humble enough to say, God, explain this to me. God, teach me. Um, I love the support that denominations sometimes can give, but it also can be a straitjacket. It's like, it's like politically correct interpretations of the Bible. You know, all the, I mean, we've all been aware of the endless debates over, you know, eschatology about the pre-tribulation and post-tribulation pan, you know, tribulation rapture stuff. And they argue over this this kind of thing. And 
and it's relevant and it's important and we should read the book of Revelations. But this tug of war is like, I can't go to church with you anymore because you believe the tribulation comes after the rapture. Um, you know, I've heard of churches that have split over the color, the color of carpets. You know, so the sectarianism, I think Paul warned us about being, of not being uh, sectarian. But if you're, if you're so regimented in your understanding, you become, in effect, a heresy hunter. Well, those guys are wrong. And instead of saying, God, teach me, let me grow in your presence, let me grow in your grace, make me a blessing, let me do your will in the earth, they're like, hey, you guys are wrong. You know, and that attitude of trying to say, hey, you guys are wrong is based in, I'm afraid I'll be deceived. Instead of, they, they, have, more, they have more faith in the devil's ability to deceive them than they have in the Holy Spirit's ability to enlighten them. And, and I'm like, what a terrible life to live trying to avoid the devil instead of trying to follow God. It's the same thing I suffered with when I was younger when, um, I, I've said before, when I was, when I was a, like a teenager, there were, there were several problems in, in teens, teenagers. <laughs> teenagers have unique struggles, right guys? Put your phones down that have struggles. <laughs> Teenagers have, it's a, it's a season for them where there's a lot of hormones going off and relationships and temptations and drugs and, and all the other stuff. And I didn't do drugs, I promise. <laughs> but there were, things I, I, there were things I knew in my life that didn't, ple that didn't please God. And I, uh, I was trying to keep track of how many days I could go without having these different problems. I, I literally had a calendar on my wall. I literally put X's on the dates of how many days I succeeded in doing the things that I needed to. It was like, read this Bible and avoid this sin. Read this thing. And I was keeping score of my own righteousness. And then after like a week or two, like, oh, it, start over, rip the page off, try again. I was, I was running from sin. And then one day, God's like, why don't you let grace cover that? This is back before we really understood the grace the way we do now. But back then, there was enough of a truth in my life to say, worry about, worry about following me. Let my grace take care of these other things. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You've got, our walk is a walk of priorities. You know, from... Seeking first, this is Matthew 6, 38. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will added, be added unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Um, as I mentioned before, the greatest commandment, it's just so simple. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself, and all this other stuff. You know, so you, you see what I'm getting at? It's a question of priorities. Um, so anyway... Uh, if you become a heresy hunter, you're, you're employed in the wrong profession. Um, the, disciples, the disciples were asking Jesus about, um, or, or he gave a, it was a parable. I'm sorry, I haven't had a whole lot of sleep. I was working too hard on trying to be thoughtful, and now I can't think. <laughs> um, but I think, wasn't it a parable, the, the wheat and the tares? And the, the, the Lord of the, of the harvest said, leave the tares alone because um, they'll uproot the wheat, too. Um, the, uh, those who try to identify which are wheat and which are tares, that's not your job. Now, sure, don't let heresy get amongst you. Some things are obvious. Some, some things are absolutely, that's not Bible. If you don't understand who Jesus is, if you don't understand the Trinity, if you don't understand salvation, 
You know, there's certain things that we, we do want to put down. But if we're busy looking for deception instead of looking for revelation, we've got our priorities wrong. Um, so I, I will freely admit there's things about God I have yet to learn. Is anybody in that boat with me? There's things about God that I will admit I have yet to learn. And so having that awareness keeps me humble enough to say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, show me. Um, you have to be willing for God to show you new things or you'll never grow. I can imagine we watched Charlton Heston this week. I guess we were bored watching the Ten Commandments. And he's you know, walking through the desert and he sees this burning bush over there. Now, can you imagine how history would be different if he saw that bush? He's like, that's not God. I can't go over there. That's a deception. The devil's trying to deceive me. You know, there, there are times when, when God tries to break you out of your box and, and show you something new. Um, uh, Psalm, Psalm 1 says, you know, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the Lord. He's not wasting his time with the guys that are saying, no, that's, that's dumb, that's too, or making fun of. I think um, a critical spirit is a derivative of pride. Mocking is pride. It's like, you guys are goofy. Like the snake in the garden, you know. Has God really said that? It's like Joe Biden. Come on, man. Sorry, that out loud? Edit. I mean, even, even recently, there's a, there's a new Instagram page that, that has kind of taken the world by storm called uh, Worship Fails. And some of them, some of them are funny, but that's, that's actually a little close to home. Because <laughs> I don't want to be one of those guys. You know, one poor guy was singing a verse like, why should my heart fear what you've defeated? And he said, like, why should my fart hear what you've defeated? <laughs> and I'm like, well, first of all, if they're a worship leader, all they're trying to do is worship. All they're trying to do is serve the body and say, come on, guys, let's love on God. Not, not watch me play my guitar because I'm so awesome, although you are awesome. Um, but the whole point of worship is for us as the body of believers, the family of God, to gather around Daddy's family room and say, God, you're so awesome. We just love you. The whole goal of what we're doing is to glorify you, to ascribe the glory that's due your name, to give you the fruit of thanks, you know, and, and, and not performance. And, you know, and so, yeah, we can't watch them. The, the, the problem is it becomes, it becomes, it, it mocks worship. It, 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 yes, it was a mistake, and yes, it's embarrassing, and, and yes, it's funny, but that, that sort of spirit is something the devil is trying to do to say, huh, worship, that's stupid. I mean, the guy last week did so-and-so, and you just stand there, and you don't enter in, and you don't give God the glory that's due his name. He is worthy to be exalted. He is worthy to be loved. For crying out loud, after all he's done for us, we ought to say thank you. <laughs> you know... You know, and so it is, it is our duty and our obligation, not some law written somewhere, but if somebody gives you a present, like a really nice present, you know, it's, it's only appropriate for you to say, that is really thoughtful. That is so wonderful. I'm speechless. Thank you so much. That's what God did to us, and don't let the, don't let the marvelous nature of his salvation 
wear on us. Let's don't get used to the fact, unnecessarily in a different level, let's don't get used to the fact that, hey, we're good, and now I'm going to skip along my road and do whatever I want. Ephesians 2.8 says it's for by grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Let's all say thank you. Not as a result of works that we can boast. We didn't do anything to do it. But, continuing, but we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Hey, now that we're in the family, God's got some stuff that we can do. Um, let's turn for a second to John chapter 20. I wish I had, somebody find me a Bible that's not King James. If I could use my phone, that would be too simple. Um, <laughs> what you got there? The message and the passage. Passion translation. Um, I was just looking for something more like I can read it in English, English. But, but leave those there. Maybe one day, hey, maybe this would be fun. No. Yay, Paula. Uh, all right, I'll read it in this version and come back to it. All right. After Jesus, after Jesus, uh, after Jesus died, on Easter Sunday, we would say, he was resurrected. The disciples, all but I think Thomas, were gathered in a room. Let's read that, because the more I say things by, by memory. John chapter 20, verse 19. Uh, then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Well, I reckon the door is, the door is locked. How'd you get in here? And really, who are you? Chill. Walks in. And when he had said so, the first thing he did is he showed them his hands and his side. Hey, look, it's me. I'm Jesus. And oh, by the way, I'm alive. What does that do to them? All of a sudden, they believe in the resurrected Christ. It's Jesus, and he's resurrected. So they believe that God raised him from the dead. That sounds like Romans 10, 9, and 10. All right? And when he had said that, um, then, it says, Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. There's some stuff I want you to do. Okay, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive, this sounds good in King James, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now I looked, in, I looked into this. There's a, the, um, the, the, the word, this is, anybody ever heard of Derek Prince? There's, there's a great explanation of this because he was a genius scholar on a C.S. Lewis kind of level. When it says he breathed on them, it's, it's the, the Greek talking about like, like somebody would blow in it, and it's a focused breath. It's not like you went, oh. it's not like a COVID thing, like uh, you might accidentally get something. He specifically focused his breath at each of them like an instrument player would blow like into a flute, like, like that. And the word, when he said, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, the verb tense was there is that there's the expectation that you're, you're going to do it right now. And it's like, here, hold this. That's not going to be next week. That's like, here, hold this. Well, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, number one, he blew focused at them with the expectation that they would receive, I guess, 
inhale, I don't know. I wasn't there to record. But the expectation was for them to focus on receiving the breath. Go back to creation when God made Adam. He breathed into him, and he became a living soul. Here Jesus is breathing into them. I believe, actually, this is probably the first, the first group of people that entered into the, the reality of the new covenant. Because the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, because he came in the Jordan, remember? The Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, he breathed on them. Um, and so um, I think they were made new creations at that point. For crying out loud, they just believed. They saw him, they saw his hands. If any man believes in his heart, if, any, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, because, they, hey, it's the Lord. And they believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. Check mark. I think that happened here. Anybody, anybody agree with me? All right. Um, whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted. And whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. Um, and where's... Uh, anyway, maybe it's over in Luke's version. But he said, write down the page. Was it in Luke? Who's got a parallel Bible? Where is this in Luke? 24. Um, yeah, so like in Luke 24, verse 36, you know, peace be unto you, and they were terrified and all that. Why are you troubled? Behold, behold my hands and feet. Here I am, you know. Yeah, he said, have you got any meat? So he ate some stuff. Um, um, verse 44, I'm just looking for the red letters. That is one good thing about these Bibles, by the way, the red letters. Um, these are the words that I spake to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Uh, skipping down to 46, thus it is written, and thus it is behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead in repentance. And you're witness to these things. Um, verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye, that means way around, in the city of Jerusalem until ye be undued, endued with power from on high. Now, by the way, this is Luke, uh, the gospel according to Luke. He's also the guy that wrote the book of Acts. So when Luke explained in the book of Acts what Jesus said, hey, remember when I said that Jesus said, wait, in power, wait until you receive power from on high in Jerusalem? That's what he's talking about. So he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, Preach the gospel. And then he said, but before you go, go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. So he wasn't in the earth yet. Go wait around until he comes. Um, so those are, those are two events. Now, speaking of the Holy Spirit, this is, this is one of those, um, this is one of those uh, areas where there are uh, a lot of discussions about the Holy Spirit, about what does it mean, how does it happen, what is this? Everybody's read this, these passages. Everybody's read Acts 2. I should read that. Y'all know the scripture. You know, they were assembled in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, tongues of fire, all that kind of stuff. Speaking in tongues. They were changed. Peter the chicken came out as Peter the apostle. Um, let me get some water here. I've got to make that sound. Anyway, 
there can be a lot of dissension about the Holy Spirit, which we need to get past, not by, my, not by me setting you straight, but to say that if Jesus told his disciples they needed the Holy Spirit to do their job, I think on principle, well, first of all, do we all agree the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength? Do we all agree that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity? He's every bit as much God as Jesus and God the Father. Is that right? Do we believe the Holy Spirit is important to the work that Jesus did while he was in the earth? Did he not descend upon him in the Jordan? Didn't the Holy Spirit himself lead Jesus out to be tempted? Didn't the Holy Spirit, at the point of temptation, facing the devil himself, call to mind the scriptures that Jesus learned in the temple as a child? Jesus has been storing up scripture all of his life, and all of a sudden, boom, the match is lit. He's suddenly available. He came back in power. So without getting into arguments about whether it happens this way or happens that way, because all of those are reasons for some of us to just blow off, ah, we'll just ignore that whole topic, and we walk around powerless. Our guns aren't loaded, but we've got work to do, and we've got an enemy that's trying to kill us, all right? So God, one thing Mark is really good about is teaching us not to be dogmatic. Uh, he used to do a Bible study. Golly, I get to the good stuff in a amount of time. He used to... He used to do a Bible study, and he went through, like, Hebrews one time, and it was great. And he's like, well, what would you guys like to study next? And I thought, ha, let's look at the book of Acts. Because, you know, I've been some places, and I know some stuff. But, by the way, that wasn't really my attitude. I really honestly wanted to hear what Mark had to say about what God was saying in the book of Acts. And we kind of read through gently and got to these points. And he's like, any questions? One night, as we, whatever chapter we were in, I said, well, what do you think? What do you think is the initial sign of receiving the Holy Spirit? And recognizing it as a trap question, he answered saying, <laughs> it wasn't really a trap question. I really wanted to know what he thought. And he's like, well, there's a lot of disagreement about that. But, you know, if you go to Galatians 5, 522, the fruit of the Spirit, if, if the fruit is the evidence of what kind of tree it is, but the fruit of the Spirit, let's start with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Well, those are some good... I've seen a lot of that on some people that I really feel are full of God. They've got love and they've got joy and they've got peace. And God even threw the mix. You know, yes, we know in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. Well, that's just boom. The Holy Spirit arriving in the earth, that's like ground zero. It's like, like that. You know, so I expect there'd be some fireworks there. So... Tongues of fire, they all spoke in other tongues, and as they came out of the building, they were speaking to international people that were there that heard them testifying of the goodness of God in their own languages. Um, and then in Acts chapter 4, uh, they were praying for boldness, and so they prayed for boldness, and the place where they are in was shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with boldness. No mention of tongues there. Ah, darn it, let's move on down the road. Let's go to... Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Philip the evangelist goes to Samaria. He preaches the word. He performs miracles. They all believe. They're baptized. They're Christians. And the disciples say, hey, they need to be filled with the Spirit. I agree. Everybody should. So they came down and prayed for them. And it says they received the Spirit. I don't know if it said right there that they spoke in tongues or not. The issue is, um, let me go one more. Chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Um, Cornelius' house. Was it Peter? Peter? Went to Cornelius' house, right? I need some coffee. There was a house. 
Cornel the Spirit of God said to Cornelius, get Peter to come here and explain some stuff. Peter shows up, starts declaring the, G the, the goodness of God. He speaks in Acts 10, 38. He says, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for the Lord was with him. And they, at that point, I guess they just believed, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with tongues. But notice that it's different. Some, some got it right away, like in 10. Some got it afterwards, like in chapter 8. Some got it again in chapter 4. Some got it with tongues and fire in chapter 2. Let's stop arguing about how it manifests and focus on the thing that God said, you need the Holy Ghost and you need power. If we can get past the things that divide us and say, I don't want to touch the Holy Ghost because I don't want to look like this. Hey, Mike, I just thought of something. Show them what we don't want it to look like. This is what it's not supposed to look like. Oh, no, no. Go on. 130. Well, well, well. Yeah. All right, that's, that's probably enough. That's good. <laughs> if you tell somebody, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's all they've seen, like, uh-uh, I don't want that, you know. Um, I don't, I've never seen that. They're, bless their hearts. Um, how do I put this delicately? There have been times where God has moved amongst a people, and in their joy to see what God is doing, they take notes about all the things that is going on. Let me see. Okay, he fell down. She ran. She cried. She yelled. She laughed. It's like, let's keep doing those things because then the Holy Spirit won't leave us. And so they're looking at the, it becomes uh, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. The thing that we're seeking for is the power of God. And not even, see, the power seems scary. It's like, I don't want to walk around like Gandalf. <laughs> you know, I want to have wisdom, and I want to have ability. Another translation is you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll receive ability after that the Holy Ghost is upon you. I think that we need the Holy Spirit to help us in our mission and I think, right, I think what we really need to do is acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Yes. Mark wrote a book, a biography of, uh, of Fred Wolf, and it wasn't even the title, Jesus is Lord. He used to say all the time, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And if he's Lord of our lives, then I want to say, God, whatever it is that you've got, whatever it is that you want to do in my life, I need to surrender. We used to sing, you know, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. You know, but God's calling us to intimacy with him. Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration with the disciples. Uh, was it Peter, James, and John? And they had just seen God in his glory, and they got knocked around a little bit. Depending on which gospel you read, they fell out and went to sleep, or they were terrified and passed out. I don't know. Something happened up there. But again, I'm not taking notes. I'm not using this to qualify whether this is the Spirit of God moving on you. God hasn't assigned us to listen next to somebody's mouth to see if they're praying in something I don't understand to say, oh, yeah, you got it. God's not called us to validate that you've got the Holy Spirit. God's called you to verify that you've got the Holy Spirit. 
God's calling us to intimacy. Jesus coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration where obviously he was clothed in power and glory, but that settled down. He came down off the mountain with the disciples and said, don't talk about this. And the first thing they encounter is a guy that said, hey, I have brought my son to you guys. And they couldn't heal him. And he gets thrown in the fire and all this kind of stuff. I really want to read that passage because um, it's, um, dadgummit. <laughs> Somebody find it. Um, Matthew, start with the Mount of Transfiguration and slide down from there. For you guys at home, this is called Amateur Hour. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Where? Matthew's, Matthew? All right. Matthew 17, 14. When they came to the multitude, a certain man kneeling down before them said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic, sore, vexed. I think that means he's pretty badly touched. For oftentimes he falls in the fire and often in the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't cure him. And Jesus said, oh, you guys. That's really what he said. Come on, you guys. How long am I going to be around? How long am I going to put up with you? Bring him to me. That's the Andrew Revised Version. Here's what he did. Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured. All he said was, come out of him. That's what Jesus did. He rebuked the devils that come out of him. And the disciples were like, how'd you do that? I mean, we've seen this stuff before. And he said, because of your unbelief, this is verse 20, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, and say unto this mountain, be removed and cast in place and removed, and nothing can be impossible to you. However, verse 21, this is what I want you to see. However, this kind goes out not goes not out but by prayer and fasting. You catch that? Did Jesus even pray? He said, come out. Did, did Jesus fast there? It's like, there's a problem with this boy. Time out. Give me a week. I got to go fast. I'll be right back. All right. What he's showing here, does everybody remember that Jesus kept slipping away to a private place to pray? Yes. Does anybody doubt that Jesus had a deep level of intimacy with God? Jesus said this kind comes out by, but by, fasting and prayer. I think what that illustrates is God is calling us to a, a level of intimacy on a continuing basis that gives us ability. It's, not, it's, like, it's like putting money in the bank. It's like I've got some spiritual deposit in my relationship with God. I'm close to him. I hear his heart, and I walk in power. I walk in the Holy Spirit. If you stay distant from God, nobody gets raised from the dead. Nobody gets healed. Nobody has the devils cast out. And there's a world right now that needs a church that does that. He's coming back for a glorious church. And by the way, too many times people get fascinated with, I just want to do the miracles. I want to do the miracles. And they're, they're like an orphan thing. This is some neat magic tricks that I can do that will make me look good. Instead of, I'm a son. I walk in power only because of my relationship with God. Anybody remember the showdown in Mount Carmel, Elijah and the prophets of Baal? They lay out the altar and pour water all over it, and they say, the God who answers by fire, he's God. Well, the prophets of Baal, man, they spent all day running around and screaming and shouting, probably looking like that church we just saw, screaming and shouting and making a fuss and calling out to their God, and there was no answer. Nobody responded. And this went on, like, was it like three rounds of this stuff? And he made fun of him. Yeah, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know. 
He stands there and says, he didn't shout. He says, God, prove that you're God and that I'm your prophet. Boom. That's all that happened. Jesus standing before the tomb of Lazarus. God, you know, you know me, but for these guys to know, I want you to know that, that I'm, I'm yours and you're mine and Lazarus come forth. God's not calling us to do a rain dance. God's not calling us to show off. God's calling us to be real, for, to pray for people. Does anybody remember Amanda sitting over here getting healed of cancer, stage four cancer? Did anybody scream or shout or run around the room? It goes the other way. If somebody does scream and shout and run around the room, don't judge it. When I was a child, I was in a, and I was in a church, and I'm sorry, it's 12 o'clock. I'm, I was in a church um, in the middle of what we called the charismatic renewal of the late 60s, early 70s. And God was touching a lot of people. It was really, it was a revival. It was a move of God. A lot of people getting saved. A lot of people having a fresh relationship with God and the Holy Spirit encountering them. I remember sitting on the front row because I was a preacher's kid and my dad wanted to keep an eye on me. <laughs> and we were kind of an L-shaped auditorium. And I remember looking across and seeing uh, one of the teens, Larry somebody. And God had apparently been touching him. And he was kind of standing there and he was like, he was like, his face was screwed up, and he was singing like this. And I was looking at him like, I know Larry. Uh, he's, Larry's putting on a show. I mean, in my heart, without anybody saying anything, I said, he's just faking that. And um, I think I probably was about nine years old. And I remember sitting in my bed that night or soon afterwards, and I was troubled in my heart because I was afraid. Because I remember hearing something in the past about grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and I was afraid. I'm like, Oh, gosh, what if that really was God? You know, have I, have I grieved the Holy Spirit? Am I doomed? <laughs> you know, and, and my dad, our bedroom was in the basement, and right outside our bedroom was the family, was the den. Dad was up late watching Johnny Carson, and I went outside like, Dad, I think, I'm, I, think I committed the unpardonable sin. He's like, I doubt it, but tell me about it. <laughs> and I explained, I explained that I had, I had said that Larry wasn't, you know, that there wasn't the Holy Spirit. And he's like, no, son, you got to try a lot harder to grieve the Holy Spirit. But the point is not mocking. Mockery says, I'm going to make fun of that thing. I'm going to despise that thing. I'm going to try to evaluate. I'm going to try to fact check. I'm going to try to fake news. Is this guy filled with the Holy Spirit or not? Weed or tears, baby. It's not our job to figure out whether this is God or that's God. That's God's job. He's going to deal with them. Now, yes, there's order in the house. The pastor can say, hey, take that noise outside. That's okay. You know, there will be times where there's order in the house of God, everything done decently in order. I'm just saying, I really feel like God's calling, if, if, if there was a title for this thing, God's calling us to a blank check. When, if he's Lord of all, it's like, God, you know, I, I have to surrender and let you do what you want to do. I realize that when I became yours, it was up to you to direct my life. I'll close with this. The founding pastor of this church wrote this book. It was a part of, I think, the work that he was doing on his doctoral dissertation. This is really a book about, it's called The New Normal. It's a book about just walking in revival. It's like an everyday occurrence. It's not seeking out the, it's not seeking out the, the crazy. It's just seeking out God and letting whatever happens, happens. He's not always going to embarrass you, folks. In this case, he did. <laughs> Mark went to revival across the bay. Uh, over in Pensacola. 
And he tells the story of uh, how he encountered God. And by the way, there are moments where we encounter more of the presence of God than we're used to. It's called the manifest presence of God. It's the presence of God that you're aware of. He did say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He did say that he's living in me. But just like tuning in the radio, sometimes we have to stop. It's like, oh, that's right. God's here. God. Ah, yeah, I hear you. What do you want to say? You know, it's not like he... Cut us some slack. If we're singing, come Holy Spirit... Just bear in mind that from where we're standing, it seems like he's coming back again. But he's here. It's us. Like, it's like, come awareness of the Holy Spirit. Make me aware of your spirit. Move in this place. Manifest in this place. Would anybody be opposed to the Spirit of God manifesting in this place and wonderful things happening? If somebody, if somebody came in here who was desperately ill and God healed them, like Patrick, for example, God's been working in his body healing him. We prayed for him. Again, I'm not chasing miracles. I'm chasing the presence of God. One thing we also deal with this in the church is if we seek the things that are important, the other stuff comes with it. It's like marriage. When you're married, there's a, there's a level of closeness and there's a level of intimacy and a family is born. It's not friends with benefits. That's not the same thing. That, that's a corruption. That's seeking the benefits without seeking, without seeking uh, the relationship. When you seek the relationship, the, the, the benefits, the blessings of being intimate come with that. So I don't want to be a household of, of people that chase after the, the symptoms of the move of God so desperately that we actually establish them as our behavior and imitate them. We can't do that. But I do want to pursue God and say, you know, whatever. But let me read the story. So Mark is at this revival. He's dry. By the way, this book is out on that table. I would challenge you to just grab one. Have fun. Read the story. He's not going to lead you down a crazy path, but it is a great story. Um, but he's like, he went to this revival. People are standing in line for 15 hours to get in this revival. It's over at Brownsville, the church over there. He said, on the second night in the overflow room, I stood and sang the songs I was just learning as those of us who couldn't get into the main building watched the service on the big screen. And in that moment, on that spot of ground, standing between my wife and a few close friends, I felt as if my heart was about to burst. A sense of the presence of God like I had never had before welled up inside of me, and it was all I could do to keep from breaking down into a crying mess. Have y'all met Mark? Does anybody know Mark? Um... I was being overwhelmed. I knew that if I let go, there was going to be embarrassing, loud, uncontrollable sobs. And in that moment, I sensed the voice of God offering me a choice. Just the previous Sunday, I'd preached on how David danced before the Lord, and when his wife, Michael, despised him for it, she was cursed with barrenness for the rest of, his li rest of her life. I don't want to be barren for making fun of what God's doing. Um... I was in my third year of a pastor, my first pastorate, already felt dry, frustrated, and barren. I didn't want to continue in that. And as I held back the tears, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Uh, this is how Mark says it. He spoke to me quietly but firmly. I asked David to dance for me. Will you weep for me? Time stood still. Everything else faded away except the song we were singing, the song that was coming from my mouth. One thing I ask. One thing I speak, I seek. That I may dwell in your house, O Lord, all the days of my life. All of my life. That I may see you, Lord. Now, that's right priority, isn't it? That's all I'm looking for, God. And then right down, I made a choice to change my life. Yes, I whispered in my heart, I will weep for you. 
and the dam burst, loud, racking, embarrassing, weeping. And I didn't care in the least. And for the next 18 months, I couldn't get through a single sermon without weeping. And the hunger just kept on growing. Let's be hungry. I think one of the things that we're tempted to with, with, with grace is like, yeah, me and God are good. I'm secure. I'm his son. And I rejoice in that. And that's true. But remember, you've been saved for good works. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's be busy. Let's be intimate. I want to encounter somebody that desperately needs a miracle. And I just want to have that in my pocket because of the relationship I've got with God. I want to pray. By the way, you'll pray for people and some of them won't get healed. It's all about us obeying God, stepping out, taking a risk, and praying for somebody. Pretty soon, people are going to start having things happen. But I'm not keeping score. God is. I'm just going to be his representative. If nothing else, they know somebody loved them and somebody reflected the heart of God to them. Then in spite of their mess, their homelessness, their tattoos, their body odor, whatever it is, if God's leading you to be his love to somebody, step out, trust the Holy Spirit to minister life to them. Okay? Can we, can we do that? Um, do I have five more minutes? Um, I've debated whether I want to do this or not. Uh, I think I do. Is this on? Is this on? If it's not on, then you guys get out of jail free. Oh, this keyboard comes with a password. Passwords wrong. There was a move of God in Wales, uh, the end of the last century. Thanks. The end of the last century. And there was a song that was prevalent then. Uh, you guys probably know it. Here is love, as the ocean. Check. See, like I said, it's an evening at the improv. Is that loud? Can we turn that down? Can you hear me? Here is love, vast as the ocean. How do I kill those strings? This is loving kindness as the flood. Thank you. That the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who is love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise? He will never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. And um, there was a, a guy in Canada, a young man of 16, who got saved, and he wrote, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Anybody want to sing that with me? For thee all.
through the ages, the saints have desired intimacy with God when they really encountered Him. Um, about 2012 or so, I was feeling pretty dry, and, uh, and God just put in my heart a cry for more of Him. And I've never sung it before because I always hated the first couple of verses. <laughs> but the chorus is this. Jesus, come and overtake me. I want you to make me more like you. Take my heart and make it yours. I want more of you. And Spirit, totally immerse me. Take me ever deeper than before. I wade out further from the shore. I want more of you. There's a hunger we need. Do you want to try to sing that? Jesus, come and overtake me. I want you to make me more like you. Take my heart and make it yours. I want more of you. And Spirit, totally immerse me. Take me ever deeper. David. I'm sorry this has taken so long. You need to let me preach more often and I wouldn't have to try to get on. <laughs> David was called a man after God's own heart. And he's the guy that said, one thing have I desired and that will I seek, that I will dwell in your house all the days of my life and behold your beauty. That's Psalm 27. David was the guy that says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul. So my soul longs for you. Pretty messy stuff. Um, David's the one that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. David's the one in 2 Samuel 6 that we just remembered that danced before the Lord. He was happy when the presence of God in the ark returned. Especially men. Let's, let's not be afraid of pressing in and loving God. If the girls can be the sons of God, we can be God's bride. It's, it's okay. There's a soft side of our heart. There's a tenderness that God's looking for. There's a hunger that God's looking for. And he says, the hungry will be satisfied. Amen. I think I'll probably stop now. I love you guys. Um, we got to simultaneously do two things that may be mutually exclusive. I want to call. First of all, can you stand? Because I think the official protocol is I need to pray. I'm going to ask uh, Daniel and Lauren. Is Bill here? No. Um, Daniel and Lauren, would you guys be available if anybody would like to pray about anything they have? And um, 
Okay, and then the second thing we're going to do is quietly get the chairs out if they're ministering to anybody. But let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you, God, because you first loved us. Jesus, you said that we didn't choose you, but you chose us. And you appointed us that we would go and bear fruit and that our fruit would remain. So, God, we just say, just like a blank check, here am I, Lord. Like Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. God, we want to be vessels, carriers of your presence, carriers of your love. And so we just, we surrender, God, for you to reveal yourself to us. God, in the secret place where no one's watching, God, we want to be able to pour our hearts out to you and to hear your voice and for your spirit to illuminate your word, to teach us all that needs to be known. As we grow, as Paul says, as we mature and grow to the, to the perfect man, to the mature man or woman, we thank you, God, that you're calling us to grow. God, the tree that springs up, that bears fruit, and it grows more and produces more fruit, and that fruit causes other trees to grow to bear more fruit. Jesus, we want to populate heaven and plunder hell. We want to give to you, God, the glory, the reward of your suffering. So we bless you, and we pray, God, that we would be drawn ever closer to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.